Okay, we are in the second uh, week of our series on pillars. Caleb spoke of the first pillar last week called the gospel, and he did a very good job of it. I really appreciated what he said. But today we're going to talk about the second pillar. It's called community. And this is what the, how we define community on our, on our website. We believe that God has called believers to experience life together in loving, relational community. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, Acts 2.42. So, a couple of examples of community. First one, a Methodist minister called his bishop to ask if it would be proper for him to do the burial service of a Baptist. The bishop replied, well, of course, bury all the Baptists you can. (laughs) The second example of community relates to what Nancy talked about on our visit to uh, the Philippines. She mentioned that we uh, visited the Philippine College of Ministry. What Nancy didn't tell you is that the previous day, we spent 14 hours on a plane, a couple hours of uh, layover in Tokyo. We arrived in Manila at midnight. We didn't get to bed until 2 a.m., and we didn't, at the moment, realize that Chris was going to get us up at 6 a.m. so that we could drive six hours to a place called Baguio City, where this college was. You can put that picture up now, the number one. <clears throat> so we got there. We toured the college. We... Um, met some people, talked with them, and finally it came around dinner time, and hopefully this picture will come up. Okay. Well, if it there it is. Good. Um, we had dinner with the kids and with the staff. Um, and uh, the college, the kids at the college there, you know, they go to college, they pay tuition. They're typically very poor. Uh, kids, and because of the nature of the college and the nature of, of the things that there in the Philippines, not only did they go to school there, but they helped the school operate. They kids would do some of the administrative tasks, they would do maintenance, they would do cleaning, and most of the time they cooked all the meals, and they cooked a meal for us, and that's what we're having there. And it wasn't fancy; it was rice and I think chicken and some vegetables. <clears throat> but I was quite impressed with that. But I was also quite tired. Uh, and after dinner, we went into a room with the whole, the whole group of us. I think there were 30 students there, and I think 12 of us who were visiting. Uh, and they began to talk about what God was doing in their lives. And all of a sudden, I realized that I really wasn't all that tired anymore because I was with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I was in community with people I had never known, didn't know their names, Never met them before and won't see them again likely until we're in heaven. But I was part of their community. That's an example of community. Okay, thank you for putting the picture up. I want to talk about this morning how we're placed into community. I want to talk about the tools of community that we have. And I want to briefly look at three communities. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for giving Nancy and I the privilege to know Chris McKinney. And thank you for his ministry, and thank you, Father, for allowing us to be a part of his support. And I would pray this morning, Father, that you would guide us into your word, that you'd open our hearts to it and help us to see really probably things we already know about the community that you placed us in, your body, 
And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. It would be a lot easier and probably a lot less messy if once we were saved, God just took us up to heaven. I certainly would have preferred that. But instead, God has on purpose placed us into his community, what we call the body of Christ. He has designed that believers should be with one another in community. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book Life Together, said, Community is founded solely on Jesus Christ. And he is absolutely right. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. Jesus placed us in his community. The image here of baptism in the verse is pretty clear. It's like we've been immersed, or dunked, if you will, into the body of Christ. The other image there is this idea of drinking, being made to drink of one spirit. It seems to tie to the idea that Christ has placed the Holy Spirit in us. We have been filled up, if you will, with the Holy Spirit. The, Holy, the Christ has placed his Holy Spirit in us. The Holy Spirit has placed us into the community, supplying everything that we need to be a part of the community of Christ's body. We have been made to fit into the community. And we talk about joining the church uh, now and again, but it's, it's not as much that we have joined the church. It's more like we have been joined to the church by the Holy Spirit. That's a good thing this, is ha- this happened this way. It's a good thing that Christ did this. Peter tells us in First Peter that we are foreigners and exiles and that we t- are temporarily residing here. Before Christ, this was our home. After Christ, it's not our home anymore. We live here. We exist here. But it's temporary. And Peter also says that we are a peculiar people. Some of us are more peculiar than others. but We're strangers in the world. And we should be strangers because we're not of this world anymore. If Christ hadn't placed us in a body, we'd be lonely strangers with no community, no real community anywhere with anyone. Nancy and I met at Azusa Pacific University uh, back in California. And uh, we got to know each other, started dating, and she couldn't resist me. I mean, you know, look. And uh, we got engaged. And at the end of the year, we both went home. Uh, and it turned out, the idea is we go home and come back the next year. But for Nancy, it was longer than that because she had to work and make money to continue her education. And going home for me from the school was about 60 miles away. Going home for Nancy was about 400 miles away. <clears throat> and so we were apart for a while, longer than we had originally anticipated. But she got a job in Sacramento at a restaurant as a server. And there she met some friends and, and, and got acquainted with them and, and talked with them over, over time. And as people do, you talk about your lives and what's going on. Nancy shared that she had met me and fell in love with me, couldn't resist me, and uh, that we got engaged and that we were going to get married. But it would be probably at least a couple years before we could get married uh, and be together. They said, why didn't she just shack up with me? That was their worldview. Was it Nancy's worldview? And she said, no, I'm not going to do that. It's not what God wants for my life. They thought her strange. And to be honest, she was strange to them. We are strange to the world, 
but Christ has placed us in the fellowship of his body where we are with the rest of those who are strangers in the world. The rest of us who are strange to the world. This is where our community is. So Christ has placed us in community, and he's given us some tools for, to live in the community. <clears throat> he has given us tools that we may live well with one another. And there are at least four. There are many, many more, I think, but at least four that I want to highlight. And I'd like to highlight them by using, uh, focusing on the Greek words. The first one you're probably familiar with is this the Greek word koinonia. The word trans- is translated normally fellowship in the New Testament. Koinonia is the life of community. It's the life of our community. It's what characterizes us. And while the word is usually translated fellowship, the word has a more direct meaning. It is sharing or participating. 2 Corinthians 9.13 By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your koinonia, contribution, for them and for all the others. Philemon 6, and I pray that the sharing, the koinonia of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. And then Hebrews thirteen sixteen, do not neglect to do good and to koinonia or to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. In the koinonia, in the community of the believers, we share. We share our time, we share our money, we share our food. Sometimes we share our shelter, we share rides to church and to the grocery store. We share our physical labor. We certainly share our faith, our love for one another. We share with each other in praying. We share our pain and our struggles. And we share our rejoicing. And we share what we have with, our, with one another. That's koinonia. Second, the second tool is expressed in the Greek word soma. And that's the Greek word that's normally translated body. And it normally means the physical body. But in the New Testament, in much of the New Testament, it means the body of Christ. Soma is the context of community. It expresses that we live in the body of Christ, as we live in the body of Christ, that we are interconnected. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. We don't have time to explore all of 1 Corinthians 12. There's a lot there we could look at that impacts our thinking about community. But in that passage, uh, there are several principles, and I want to highlight three of them here. First is that God has unified us together by putting us in the body of believers. You may not like that. You may not want to be a part of the body of Christ. You and I may not always get along. As wonderful as I am, some of you may not think like that so much. Nancy does, fortunately. Or it got her fooled, I'm not sure which. But where you, we are united with one another. We are all together in the body of Christ. And sometimes we don't get along, sometimes we have problems, but we are all brothers and sisters, like I was the brother's I was with the brothers and sisters at the Philippine College of Ministry. We are united together. Secondly, we are all different within the body. God has arranged it so that each believer in the local church is needed. The passage says, again, you are body, the body of Christ and individually members of it. God has worked it 
so that every believer in the body of Christ, and if you're a believer here this morning and you're in this local body of Christ at Grace Life in Avenue, New York, you are needed. God has arranged it that way. And then third, God has arranged the body so that the so-called weaker parts are indispensable. The passage in 1 Corinthians 12 goes on to talk about how the more seemly parts don't need any honor, don't need any recognition, and that's true. But it also says that the so-called weaker parts are indispensable. Don't you catch that for a minute? I don't know how you think of yourself in the body of Christ here. I don't know how you see yourself. I don't know how you see your role here in the body of Christ here at Grace Life. But the Bible says you are indispensable to the body of Christ. The third tool, another Greek word you're familiar with, charisma or charisma, as it's sometimes said. Charisma is the power of the community. The Greek word means gift, or more precisely, spiritual gift. The root word of uh, charisma is charis, which means grace. And it's all about grace. God gives us the gifts and God empowers the gift. Romans 12, 6 through 8. Having gifts, that is uh, harisma, that differ according to the grace, haris, given to us, let us use them. The prophecy in proportion to our faith, its service in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So we are encouraged to use our spiritual gifts with enthusiasm. But it's God who empowers it all. 1 Corinthians 12, 4-7. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Spiritual gifts are supernatural. And I want you to, to catch that. Super, super, uh, spiritual gifts are supernatural. They aren't a talent. They aren't an ability. They are a gift given to you, a supernatural gift that God uses to empower you to edify one another. They are given when you become a believer. And the passage says that there are different gifts, and it also says that there are different uh, varieties of service. The word service there means ministries. And then it says there are different activities. The word for activities there really could be translated results or effects. But it's the Spirit. It's the Lord Christ. It is God who works all of it. Spiritual gifts, all of them, are given to build up the body of Christ so that believers might encourage, might edify, might strengthen, might instruct, and might console one another. Sometime maybe we should do a series on spiritual gifts that would be useful. And the fourth tool is expressed in the Greek word diakonia. This Greek word diakonia is the activity of the community. Diakonia means ministry or service, that is the act of serving. Closely related word that I'm sure our deacons are picking up on right now is the word diakonos, which means servant or sometimes deacons. Diakonos is the servant. Diakonia is the serving. It's in our serving that one another that God uses the spiritual gifts he has given us to produce the desired results. So how do you serve? Well, 
lots of different ways, but I want to emphasize this one way. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The way to be in service with your brothers and sisters is to be with your brothers and sisters. We'll talk about more about that in a minute. And then three communities. <clears throat> First one you're probably very familiar with. Acts 2, 42 through 47. <clears throat> and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So, try and imagine this. The church on the day of Pentecost had about 120 people in it, at least in Jerusalem. And by the end of the day, there were 3,000 more. How would we handle that? <laughs> I don't know how the apostles did this. I don't know how what they talked about, about how to deal with all these people. But what we do know is that the church, the very early church, this is how they functioned. This is how they worked together. And it, I think it could be summed up in two phrases. One, and they devoted themselves, verse 42. And secondly, and all who believed were together, verse 44. They devoted themselves to learning God's word. They devoted themselves to ordinary life together, breaking bread. They devoted themselves to praying. And I imagine most of the time it was together, day by day, it says. And they devoted themselves to the community. They were together. The passage talks about how they held all things in common and shared with those who had need. They were practicing body life, sharing with one another, body life, soma. They were practicing sharing, koinonia. They were using their charisma, spiritual gifts, and they served one another, diakonia. And to do this, they had to be together. I've talked to several Christians off and on throughout the years who have said that they don't need to be in a church to be a Christian. And that's technically true. But if you're a Christian and you're not in the church, you can't do what Christians are designed to do. That's to live together, to live life together, to love and care for one another. The second community may not be so familiar, at least we probably think of it less than we do the community in Acts, and this is the community of the Corinthians. They had a sin problem, and they had a community problem. 2 Corinthians 2, 5-11, through 11, Now if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, his punishment by the majority is enough, so you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote, that I may test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. 
Most commentators believe that Paul here is talking about a person who opposed him and opposed him by in such a way that he sinned against Paul during a previous visit of Paul to Corinth. This person was asked to leave the fellowship because he wasn't repentant. But eventually, apparently, this person did repent. But it seems that some in the church wanted to continue the punishment to close him out of the community despite his repentance. Paul here instead asked for this person to be welcomed back into the community so that he would not be overwhelmed with sorrow. Paul asked for the Corinthians to forgive this person. Two applications from this passage that we can take in terms of our discussion about community. First is that the community functions as a hedge against the attacks of Satan. As Paul says, we're not ignorant of Satan's designs. For example, Satan would have wanted to destroy this person. It sounds like maybe he nearly did. Satan would have wanted to sow discord in the community, and there was certainly that. Satan would want to foster an unforgiving spirit in the church. Welcoming the repentant person back into the community would thwart those designs of the enemy. And then second, forgiveness and love are the marks of a believer and of a believing community. Whether it's welcoming back a repentant believer, restoring the gentleness, in gentleness one who has sinned, as Paul directed us in Galatians for one who had sinned, or healing a relationship between those who may not see eye to eye in something, as Paul encouraged the Philippian believers to do with Euodia and Syntyche. The third community is very familiar to us. It's the local church, it's the local body of Christ in Avon, New York, called Grace Life. We are not, nor is any believing community, a mere social gathering of Christians. Among other things, Grace Life is a community where we gain strength from one another where we can encourage one another to use the whole armor of God, where we pray for one another to withstand the attacks of and find protection from the enemy. And it is a community that witnesses the love of God and the person of Jesus Christ because we love one another in Christ. John thirteen thirty four through 35, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another by this. All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. About four and a half years ago, Nancy and I packed our car up with everything that we couldn't get on the moving truck. And we drove across country, about 2,700 miles, to leave beautiful Southern California. Not so beautiful anymore. Um, and to move here. And we, we, we knew we were coming here. We knew we were going to uh, attend Grace Life. But one of the anxieties that we felt as we were driving across the country is, are we going to have anything like the relationships we had with our brothers and sisters in California? I mean, was that even possible? Turns out it is. Uh, turns out that we have deeper relationships with several people here. It turns out that we uh, are brothers and sisters with you in Jesus Christ. And it makes sense that we are because we're all part of the body of Christ. And it's our being together. It's our loving one another. It's the way we care for one another that shows the world that we are followers of Christ and causes the world to look up and say, hmm, I think maybe I want what they have. Three things to consider. 
First, serve one another. That's how you're going to use your spiritual gifts. You say, well, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. Okay, no problem. Serve. Love one another. Take care of one another. Help one another. As you do that, God will use the spiritual gift that's inside you. And you may even come to know what your spiritual gift is. Secondly, love one another. But love one another by meeting needs. By taking meals together. By praying with one another. By studying God's word. And then the third thing is really necessary for the first two. Is you need to be with one another. What we do here on Sunday mornings is good. It's necessary. It's strengthening. It's uplifting. We worship God together. But it's not enough. We need to be together. And the best way to do that is to get in a group. I was talking with Caleb the other day, that he, and he said that perhaps 70 to 75% of the folks at Grace Life are in groups. That's magnificent. Most churches, it's a much lower percentage. But whether it's D groups or Rudu groups or women's ministry or men's ministry, by the way, men's ministry is, is resuming after its summer break on uh, the 17th, a week from yesterday, 8.30 a.m. right here. We have breakfast. Come. Just the guys, okay? And then grace groups. <clears throat> and by the way, the grace group that lives in, that meets in Nancy's house uh, will resume on the 20th at 6.30 p.m. And the grace group that meets here uh, on Wednesdays will resume on the 21st at 6.15 p.m. You're invited. All of you are invited. If we are going to use our spiritual gifts and if we're going to serve one another, we need to be with one another. Getting into a group provides the regular opportunities to serve one another and to love one another. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you for putting us in your body. <clears throat> wouldn't know what to do if we weren't. We certainly wouldn't be in, in any kind of real community. And you, by putting us in your body, Father, you have given us this wonderful, supportive, loving community that serves serves one another, serves everybody who has a need, and serves one another in love, and serves one another in meeting needs, and serves one another in taking meals together, and serves one another in caring, in restoring, in uplifting. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you for the community you have put us in. In Jesus' name, amen.